This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're finishing up chapter 20. It would be wrong to ignore or hide the holy character of God, the justice of a God that knows no sin or fault and rightly judges those that reject him. But it would be equally wrong to forget about his compassion, the empathy and love God has for his creation. In today's passage, we'll see how quick people are to ignore the plight of their fellow humans and how tender God's heart is for those that are broken and in need. That should make all of us that are so often in need desire even more to trust and worship such a good God. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So find your places in Matthew 20, verses 29 through 34. A very short passage here. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. In order for us to understand the compassionate heart of Christ, I want to make three observations based on this scene. First of all, I want you to see the affliction of the sufferer, chapter 20, verses 29 to 30, in the beginning here. Now, this section introduces events leading up to Passion Week. He's on his way to the crucifixion, Jesus is, to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember, in verse 28, that's how he concluded that scene. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is on his way to accomplish redemption for the many, but at the same time, he stops to meet the needs of the few. So the Jews were following Christ, especially now that they know he's on his way to Jerusalem, because they're saying, man, he's going to come and conquer Rome and establish his kingdom now. Let's follow him. In, in infinite wisdom, God led this particular multitude to witness the compassionate heart of the majestic Savior one more time before his triumphal entry in Jerusalem. Now, the blind man referred to Jesus by a messianic title. I hope you noticed that when they say, Lord... Son of David, that's a messianic title. That represents their desire for the Messiah to come and establish the kingdom. But they must have heard that the sovereign king is also the sympathetic king and eager to demonstrate favor. And I want you to understand this, church. He is eager. He wants to shower his people with blessing and kindness. That is very evident here in the text. And we tend to either overemphasize or overlook this aspect of the life of Christ. His eagerness to bless, his desire that you experience the fullness of his healing touch, his compassionate touch, both as a follower of Christ and for non-followers of Christ to experience the compassionate Savior. But we tend to overemphasize or overlook this aspect. But Scripture provides the balance. So you can never go wrong by reading the entirety of Scripture because it, it will be a mistake to overemphasize the judgment character of Christ. 
the holiness of Christ while overlooking his compassionate heart, his kindness, or vice versa. Yes, he is firm in judgment, but according to his, this scene here, he can't wait to provide the compassionate touch. Have you considered this, church? Before we go any further in the lesson here, have you considered the fact that he delights in showing you his compassion, his kindness? He wants to do that, especially when people ask him, especially when people cry out for help like these guys. The problem for us is we have not because we ask not. Many times we know that he can provide the compassion that we need. We know that he is able to do it. But for some reason, we go to alternatives. We, we think that instead of going to Christ first, he is the last resort. I'll try this before. I'll try that. Maybe I'll try a relationship here. Maybe I'll try a new job or turning a new leaf in life. And then if things never work out, perhaps Christ can give me some compassion. It's the other way around, according to the scene here. Now, Matthew identifies the agony of these guys here by using a Greek term called kradzo. The word cry in English sounds familiar because it comes from this. It's a description of their supplication. It means literally the shriek of a raven. The original audience from the book of Matthew knew exactly what he meant. The anguish of these guys it was so intense that there was no word at the time to describe that other than to use that figure of speech. The agony of these guys. It's not just a lack of vision. As we'll see here in a moment, they were outcasts because of that. Because most people in Israel during that time considered the blind people cursed. No one wanted to touch them. No one wanted to do anything with them or to have anything to do with them. So the anguish of heart is more than the physical pain of not being able to see. It's the anguish of heart of being abandoned, of being neglected. But then Jesus Christ walks right by them. Perhaps they knew the men healed from blindness in Matthew 9, verses 27 through 28. Or maybe they have heard of them because they repeated the exact words verbatim. The same cry, saying, Lord, have mercy on us. Precisely what they're asking Jesus here is by recognizing that he is Lord and calling him the son of David, they recognize that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, and therefore they're asking him to have mercy on them. In other words, please fulfill your messianic promises on us. They are asking Jesus Christ to demonstrate to them or demonstrate on them his messianic credentials. They know exactly what they're asking. And they know he can do it because they know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Son of David, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. So they are demonstrating saving faith. They know the identity of Christ. They know that he is on his way to Jerusalem. But they say, Would you mind stopping and fulfilling your messianic promises on us? Would you mind giving us what you promised to do and what you are eager to do? Maybe they were familiar with the book of Isaiah, which prophesied about the messianic age when Christ would restore sight to the blind. Isaiah 29 verse 18 says, On that day the deaf will hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Isaiah 34, verses 5 through 6. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. So these folks trusted the word of God. They knew that Jesus was there, ready to fulfill messianic promises, eager to bless. And they, they're asking him by faith, would you show compassion on us? They were determined to not miss the opportunity to express to Jesus their greatest need. And again, please understand that their need is not just physical. It goes way beyond that. It's emotional. It's spiritual. Now, the valuable lesson for us is this. Again, we seek relief from distress, 
from a variety of sources. Even those of us who know Jesus Christ for a long time. And we know he's right there waiting for us to come to him. The compassionate Savior is right there in front of us, just waiting for us to initiate the contact, to initiate the conversation and say, would you please demonstrate in me your compassion? Whatever the reason is, and he is eager to lavish goodness on us, but why would we go somewhere else? And again, church, we know the answer to that. Our flesh desires nothing from God. Our flesh desires the things of the world. That is why God needs to wean us from the world. You see, every time we experience adversity or difficulty, consider the opportunity that God is giving you to learn to desire Him more than anything else, to desire Him even more than relief from suffering. Because those of us who know Jesus Christ know that we need His touch more than we need financial recovery, more than we need physical healing, more than we need an emotional boost. Sadly, unlike these blind men here, we sometimes seek favors from others. Even though Jesus is the only way to the Father, John 14, verse 6, we know that there is no other way. We mistakenly believe that only if we had, and you fill in the blank, only if we had the car, the house, the relationship, the health, you, you fill in the blank, only if we had this, then my life would be better. My suffering would go away. I would find relief. When reality is, no friend, whether you find yourself in the mire of sin in your life or in the sea of sorrow, he will stop everything that he is doing to listen to the cry of your heart. You will experience his compassion one way or another if you seek him, whether through immediate relief or delayed relief, but renewed hope. These guys experience renewed hope immediately. That is not a prescription. That, that's not, that doesn't mean that's always the case. It doesn't mean it's going to happen always this time. The point of this lesson is to demonstrate to us that yes, Jesus Christ is thinking of the many by going to the cross, but he stops to take care of the needs of the few to provide them the healing touch and to teach the disciples true ministry. We'll get that in a moment. So don't you think, church, for a moment, see, I want you to understand this very clearly. Don't you think for a moment that he's too busy running the universe that he can't have time for you? Because that's not what we learn here. People are important to him. You matter to him. You are important to him. See, people may not make you feel important. You may feel neglected by people, but Jesus will never do that. And that is what we learn here. A never diminishing love. <laughs> Consider this. Many times I say this to people in, in personal conversation or counseling saying, God will never love you any less than he loves now. So stop trying to earn God's love. Nothing you, you do will cause God to love you less than he already loves now. The opposite is true too. He'll never love you anymore. He already loves you with perfect love. He has demonstrated that over and over again in scripture and he does it in our walks with him. So no matter where you are in life, what you have done, God will never love you less than he loves now. You will never fall out of grace. There is no such thing in scripture. You can never fall out of the grace of God. You can never reach the boundaries of the boundless divine grace of God. Well, that doesn't mean he won't discipline you when you do things that are out of line with scripture and his will. It's precisely because of his love that he corrects and disciplines. So scripture asks us rhetorically, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Romans 8 verse 25. God is love, the Bible says. See, all of us, we know what love is. We know how to give love, but we are not love. God is love, the Bible says. And by this love was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John tells us in 1 John 4, verses 8 through 10. So that's the affliction of the sufferer. But here's a second observation I want us to understand here. The apathy of the self-centered, verse 31. That's the opposite of the attitude that we see here, the apathy of the self-centered. You see, we have two people in distress. Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. And the crowds that are following Him saying, Shush! Stop crying. We have more important things to do. That's the apathy of the self-centered because that is an attitude that is moved by self-centeredness. What's in it for me? And Matthew may have placed this scene where he did here again to associate the two blind men with the spiritual blindness of the disciples. Remember, we saw this spiritual blindness in Matthew 18, verse 1, when they were competing for the best seats in the kingdom. Saying, who's going to be the greatest? And they still haven't learned their lesson. By this time. So there's hope for the rest of us. It takes two chapters, three chapters for them to finally start to get the picture here. Sometimes it takes us decades, doesn't it? But we have here these two men who probably, Matthew probably has in mind here uh, an association with the spiritual blindness of the disciples and the type of service that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 20 verse 28. See when he says, I want you to serve each other like I am serving you by laying my life down and providing my life as a ransom for many. So he's saying, that's the type of attitude that I expect from you. And here's how to do it. He is providing the visual aid. He is providing the perfect example. The problem is self-centeredness gets in the way. Self-centeredness affects people's spiritual eyesight. I know it because I experience it from time to time. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my desires, my goals, my ministry kudos. Evidently here, the whole crowd neglected to see the needs of these two and even discouraged them from coming to Christ. Can you imagine this? These are followers of Jesus Christ telling others, get away. Get away from Him. That is the opposite of what we're called to do. We're called to lead people to Christ. To say, Come follow us as we follow Jesus Christ. We're going this way. But these folks are saying, that the crowd here is saying, no, stay quiet. He, he's got more important things to talk about. We're on our way to, to, to establish the kingdom and to overthrow the Romans. And Jesus says, no, that's not true ministry. They had a similar reaction that when the disciples tried to prevent children from coming to Christ. Remember that in Matthew 18, verse 13, the parents were bringing children to Jesus and the disciples, oh, no, no, get away from him. We're, we're the bodyguards here. Get away from him. And Jesus said, prevent them not. Let the children come to me for to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. The 12 were in a hurry, obviously, to get to Jerusalem. We know why. Uh, they wanted to get this betrayal, humiliation, crucifixion, followed by resurrection business out of the way so that they can get their thrones that Jesus promised them in Matthew 19, verse 28. He, they had no idea that there will be a church age which would last thousands of years. We're 2,000 years into that church age after the resurrection. They were under the impression that Jesus was going to get crucified. Jesus just told them that he was going to be resurrected. So they were, they were in a hurry to get that going right away, which would have justified their anxiety. Contrary to Christ's sympathy, they were apathetic. See, this is not sympathy. This is apathy. It's the opposite towards the afflicted. Now, sympathy means to suffer with. Apathy means completely to negate all of that. Apathy means they have no pain for others, no concern for others. They are apathetic to others. The affliction of others present a distraction or an inconvenience but not to Christ. He had to teach the disciples and the crowd true humility, true ministry. Since, again, they, along with every other Christian, are called to follow and imitate our majestic Savior, and specifically the disciples who would lead the church 
They were the pioneers of the church movement. They had to learn true compassionate ministry because up until this point, they were not following the heart of Christ. And he wants to teach us the same lesson. Church, I want you to know, we don't use people to accomplish ministry. It's the opposite. We use ministry to get to people, to reach them for Christ. In other words, God placed you and me in our current setting not to accumulate ministry kudos, not for our own sake, but for the sake of others, to duplicate the compassionate heart of Christ. Consider how you can do that in your current situation, wherever you serve. How can you demonstrate the compassion of Christ rather than keep thinking, man, what's in it for me? Where's my crown? Where's my reward, Lord? I'm doing this for you. What might explain this crowd's lack of empathy for the two men is the fact that the Jews mistakenly considered blindness a curse. This was part of their culture. Maybe they misunderstood parts of the Old Testament. And the disciples, you will remember, expressed that sentiment when they asked Jesus about a particular visually impaired man. They said this in John 9, verses 2 through 3. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? You see, they were reflecting the understanding of the time in Judaism. They're saying, who sinned, this man or his parents? By the way, this is a misinterpretation of Old Testament, of Phariseeism here. And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Maybe they misunderstood God's word to Moses, for example, when in Leviticus 21, verse 21, we're told that no man among the descendants of Aaron, the priest who has a defect, is to come near the offer of the Lord's offerings by fire, since he has a defect. Now, maybe they misunderstood this. Well, obviously, God is talking about the priesthood, not of the average person here. Now, anybody who considered blindness a curse, should have read these words again by Moses. In Exodus 4, verse 1, God talking to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So no, blindness is not a curse. And people should have understood that. They missed that. So I understand why, when we can completely see here, why they were hesitant to allow these guys an audience with Christ. They're saying, oh, you're cursed. You're not supposed to come near God. You, you, you stay out there. But God had not cursed these blind men by the road of Jericho here. Their own people had abandoned them, not God. When they realized that Messiah had arrived, they pursued Jesus even more diligently. They repeated the same cry for help. Now, unfortunately, many modern-day followers of Christ have similar attitudes than the disciples. We show the same apathy from time to time, and that is a shame. So let me ask you this. And this is for all of us, myself included. Do you consider the needs of others an embarrassment or an inconvenience? Or do you say, well, he's getting what he deserves. She's getting what she deserves. He is cursed. She is cursed because of poor decision making. Is that your attitude towards the sufferer? If it is, you are wrong. And your heart needs to be made right. Think about this. What's your heart attitude towards the homeless in our city? Do you see them as an eyesore? Or do you see them as people who need help? Whatever kind of help. How about the inmate population? They're cursed. Let's not come near them. Let me, let me remind you that all of us are murderers at heart, according to the pattern of, the, of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. All of us are adulterers at heart. How about your, your attitude toward the drug addict here, abounding in our state? What is your attitude towards them? How about the sexually immoral, homosexuals, LGBT community? prostitutes, people who are promiscuous. Well, how about corrupt politicians? People who are evil because they don't know Christ and they want to impose their evil on you. Do you ask Jesus to send them away so that you can get back to your business of in the holy huddle here and doing our potlucks? 
Or do you ask Jesus to save them? And to say, Lord, how can I, if I encounter any of them, how can I provide the hope of Christ, even if that comes at a cost? Let's make our hearts align with Christ, church, because if we don't, we are not duplicating the compassion of Christ. See, Jesus never has and never will turn anyone away, a repentant sinner who desires him. And that is the reason. Grace Baptist Church will never, ever, ever turn away a repentant sinner. We welcome sinners in this place. I've been asked this question. My second month here, that I, I think I've shared this a few weeks ago in an email. What are you going to do with homosexuals when they come to your church? We said, we welcome them to come and hear the message that saves. Why would we do anything less? We welcome all kinds of sinners here. We will never close the door to people who come to us saying, I am a sinner in need of grace. I want Jesus, but I am not worthy to be in his presence. We'll say, sure, welcome home. Join the rest of us. But if they come here and try to change the place, we'll say, no, get out. That's not going to happen. Now, here's another lesson that the resolve of these two blind men teach us. We have the affliction of the sufferer, the apathy of the self-centered, and to top all things off, to, to shower this whole thing with grace and kindness, we have the affection of the Savior. Jesus is an affectionate person. He shows tenderness. Now, by this time in Christ's earthly ministry, he had encountered plenty of shallow conversions. If, In case you were wondering, in verse 32, when he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And if you're like me, the first time you're reading this, you say, well, isn't it obvious? They've already stated that. Have mercy on us. Well, he wants mercy. They want mercy from Christ. And Jesus Christ, what do you want me to do for you? Wait a minute. Isn't Christ omniscient? Doesn't he know all things? I mean, isn't it obvious? The point here is this, church. Don't miss this is that by this time he had encountered many shallow converts, people who would just followed him for the free food, people who would follow him for a, the possibility of conquering Rome or the possibility of, of seeing a, a trick or a sign. So Jesus needed to make sure that these guys understood what it meant to follow him. And we encounter many people that have a shallow understanding of the gospel. Everyone who listens to and buys the life improvement gospel falls into this category. If you're following Jesus Christ just for life improvement, you will be disappointed because your life may not improve if you follow Christ. In fact, quite the opposite. People will start hating you because you follow Christ. What happens is your, your place in eternity is guaranteed, of course. Your heart is transformed. You'll experience true joy that surpasses all understanding. So in that aspect, yeah, there's improvement in your life. But if you're just following Christ for a quick fix... I'm afraid you don't have saving faith. And that is why Jesus wanted to assure here with these guys. What do you want me to do for you? And it's interesting, church. I want you to see that they have insisted in Jesus Christ, even after being discouraged from people. And how often do we hear from people? The reason I don't go to church, the reason I want nothing to do with your faith is because of the many hypocrites that I see out there in the world. And the question is, what does the behavior of Christian have to do with your eternal salvation? Because you are not called upon to fix your eyes on people, the Bible says. We're called upon to fix our eyes on Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. So every time you fix your eyes on people, you will always find fault. You know, the easiest thing to do is to find fault in people because we are imperfect. The easiest thing for you to do is to find fault in me and vice versa. My flaws are evident. Your flaws are evident as well. So we're not called upon to do that. And what these guys, they had all the reasons to say, you know what? Christians are all bad. Christians are hypocrites. I'm out of here. They would have walked there blind. But no, they readjusted their spiritual eyesight to fix their eyes on the sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, we have a sympathetic high priest. 
He will never disappoint. He will never abandon you or ignore you. While people may, and he is the only one really who can truly and meaningfully say, I know how you feel. He's the only one who can do that because he's been abandoned by friends. He has been mistreated. He has been ignored, neglected, misjudged, misrepresented. And he is a sympathetic high priest. He's eager to show compassion. He is eager to shower you with blessings and kindness, especially in your hardest trial, because that's part of our life. He may not remove you from the trial immediately, like he did with these guys here. From one moment to the next, they, they started to see. You may have a different experience, but the point is, you will experience his compassionate heart if you just fix your eyes on him rather than on people, rather than on the circumstance. So keep crying out to God. That's the lesson here. Don't give up. Keep crying out to him saying, Lord, please have mercy on me. Look at my situation. He may want to change your heart rather than the situation immediately. I've told you this many times. And all of us as Christians experience this. You've been praying for God to change a particular situation. And he's not changing the situation. He's changing you. He's doing better than what you're asking. He's giving you wisdom to deal with the situation. He's giving you peace to deal with the trial. Perhaps that's what he's doing today. But the point is, don't you ever stop crying out to Jesus Christ. Because the predicament of the afflicted moves the heart of the unchangeable Christ. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace. Grace.